This week on the show, we recap our experiences at FOSDEM 2019. We have the FreeBSD Foundation January update for you. OpenSense 19.1 has been released. We covered the hardware assistant virtualization challenge from NetBSD. ZFS and GPL Terra a little bit. And the CloneOS 19.01 release in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 284, FOSDEM 2019, recorded on the 6th of February 2019. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. And we had a great weekend in Brussels. Uh, FOSDEM was on and it was super crowded, uh, very nice. Uh, met a lot of people and uh, we couldn't help ourselves cover it a little bit in the headlines this week. So, it began... With um, so I I arrived and Alan arrived even earlier on the Thursday, uh, which is not a FOSDEM day, so it's just May the, the arrival day, and we had organized a FreeBSD one day Dev Summit on the Friday before. So yeah, uh, because met. the the plane lands at eight a.m., so starting the Dev Summit at nine something didn't seem like a good plan. Uh, yeah, we, and it wouldn't have been. So that's why I arrived a day earlier. Uh, and got to sleep some first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, otherwise, Alan would not be very talkative during the Dev Summit if we held it on the same day. So we had a bit of sleep, and then we went out and bought chocolate because Brussels, mm -hmm. and uh, met a couple of other people. And uh, yeah, this is pretty much the pre-Dev Summit activities. And yeah, then uh, to... on the Dev Summit day, I went up for dinner with a bunch of the Alumos people. That was fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so the um, hotel room that we had uh, organized uh, filled quickly with um, 20, 25 people at maximum. Uh, so that was nice. A lot of FreeBSD folks and uh, also guests. And we talked uh, a lot of things from Bug Tracker to Google Summer of Code to smaller items. Um, we have linked to them to, on the Dev Summit page. We uh, recorded some of the notes. These are not perfectly... Um, uh, you know, filled out sentences. It's just uh, rough notes we sketched down to the, uh, to remind ourselves what's been discussed. And yeah, that was a nice event and we had a nice dinner together on the evening of that day. So all in all, that was a very uh, nice event and uh, Foundation helped sponsor that. So thank you, FreeBSD Foundation, for that. And then Saturday, the official opening of FOSDEM. So you would imagine a lot of snow and rain, so this was snow rain coming down in the morning, and we had to carry boxes there because that um, we had to set up our table, which we had in the uh, K building, the main conference, um, one of the main conference buildings. There are spread across a couple of them because there's a lot of space in the university over that weekend, and um, so uh, that went interesting because you know snow and rain is always um, bad when you have to walk through it to get a. Uh, a table and uh, a lot of packages to uh, a building. But that was well, and we set up our table with FreeBSD logos and uh, flyers and stickers and pens and Many different balls. kinds of stickers. <laughs> yeah. I managed uh, to get was... some Ponycorn stickers for D-Trace and this yes. sweet D-Trace shirt. Ah, nice. Yes, the Elomos folks next to us um, were super helpful and uh, we had a good connection with them. I think it's the first time we had, uh, the third time already in a row that we had them as table neighbors. 
Yes, because uh, I think my first FOSDEM, I, we didn't have a table, correct? Yeah, we, did, we couldn't get one in time. Yeah. So it was uh, just, and then uh, the three since then, uh, we've been beside the Illumos people. Yeah, and there's a lot of, hey, we have now the BSD bootloader, and hey, we have package now, and we have ZFS, and uh, all these cool also, things. Also, uh, <laughs> you're to make sure that we had uh, water and stuff. He brought snacks, and then you yeah. brought some snacks. And... Yeah, that was super nice of them. So that kept I the autographed. People... He finally managed to get a copy of my ZFS book, so I autographed that for him. Yes, excellent. So, uh, and a lot of people recognized us, of course, and uh, said hi. Um, so, that, yeah, that immediately there was a crowd uh, going through uh, or going through the tables area, and of course we had a chance to talk to them and got feedback and how how they liked FreeBSD, and there was always a lot of uh, activity at the table. Yeah, but. Um, you know, the thing you don't necessarily think about immediately when you hear about FOSDEM is the fact that it's thousands of attendees. There are 776 different events going on. Uh, so 728 different speakers, suggesting that quite a few people did what I did and had to give two talks. Uh, but basically 62 uh, topic-themed tracks. Also, some of the tracks uh, were obviously not uh, both days or anything, but... In total, they had 34 different rooms across a bunch of the buildings of the campus uh, with something going on in them, basically, for all of the two days. Uh, it's pretty crazy to think of the scale of this. Like, I think if I pull up this, yes, here. You can see yeah. all the 34 rooms and what was happening in them all the different days. Yeah, so you would imagine this is a huge effort for the people... Uh, organizing this event and making sure it's running smoothly, also that people get food and uh, speakers get to their rooms in time and all these things that happen, tables need to be set up and yeah, a lot it of relies stuff. relies very heavily on volunteers, but the point is no matter what you're into, there was a bunch of it on the schedule for you. Uh, mm -hmm. Whether it was into, you know, retro computing or new hardware, uh, doing like open hardware and 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 copy-free hardware, uh, or if you're doing virtualization in IIS, or if you're into open media, or web browsers, or decentralized internet and privacy, or quantum computing. Programming uh, languages, yeah, yeah, everything you could think of. All open source, and there's, well, there was a lot of uh, things that were very well between the teams. There was a lot of good wipes in the, you can definitely see the open spirit of everyone. And the Saturday also had the um, FOSDEM BSD Dev Room, which is a single room for all the BSD talks that we have. Yeah, uh, like we said, the 34 different rooms are broken up into the tracks. There were 60-something tracks. Uh, so for basically all day on the Saturday, there were BSD-themed talks in one of the rooms. And so we covered that schedule previously, but you can see... There was a whole selection, and for most of them, the videos are online already. Uh, mm -hmm. FOSDEM, because they have to do 776 different videos. Well, I, I think there's not a video of like the, the boff rooms and so on. But because they're dealing with so much video, they've automated it to the point where video for almost every one of the talks is online and ready to view already. Yeah, because they streamed that, and uh, for the people who couldn't attend, they could watch it at home or wherever they are, and um, got uh, the latest from the streams. Yep. 
So uh, the, the list includes a couple of people you might know uh, from uh, the BSDs, and, but they also had some new people there, which was nice. And that was certainly an interesting mixture of um, BSD talks from all over the computing yes. space. Uh, and I got a chance to meet uh, one of the people I'm mentoring in FreeBSD, Thomas Monroe, who's a Postgres developer. Ah, yes, excellent. That's always a good opportunity to meet at conferences. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and also Alan was uh, lucky in getting a talk spot in the main conference track. Yep. So, uh, so I gave my explain like I'm five, how ZFS caching works uh, in the uh, the main K room, which is uh, much larger than the dev room, although not yeah. quite as big as the uh, convention or the, the Jansen room that they use for the keynotes, uh, where Jonathan gave his Netflix talk. Mm. But definitely a big auditorium. And uh, mm -hmm. this is basically Alan giving a lecture. <laughs> yeah, and it was well, well attended. It was, yes, and it was. I hope it was accessible. That was the the goal of the explain like I'm five part was to try to keep it accessible. Yeah, for me it was definitely an eye opener because I had a vague understanding of what the uh, shadow lists do or the ghost lists in mm -hmm. the arc, but now I have a much better feel of what they do and could probably Why explain it a bit better. And yeah, uh, Alan talked to a lot of people afterwards. They had questions for him, so they moved out of the room because the next talk was about to begin. And like a half an hour yes, after his talk, I, he's still yeah, <laughs> already... I, I was answering questions for about half an hour after my talk in the hall. And I did uh, similar after my main talk as well. Uh, and then on Sunday, um, we I managed to go record uh, the Friends of Illumos podcast with a bunch of other developers. Ah. So that's going to happen soon or being broadcast as well somewhere? I will post it in the show notes as soon as I know anything. Mm -hmm. Okay. And basically on Sunday we continued where we left off with what swag we had left at the table because at the end of the first day we ran out of the most interesting items we brought, the beach balls and the pens and but yeah, people were still interested in grabbing some stickers and flyers or everything that we still had left. Uh, so yeah, there was just so much presence on the uh, and interest on the FreeBSD table that it was amazing. And we had a lot of people helping out at the table because Alan and I couldn't possibly manage all that. So we had a lot of helpers. And, well, yeah, uh, I did give two talks. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as you start to uh, talk to one person and you finish that, you have five next people standing in line and it's crazy, but it's the yeah. good kind of crazy. And thanks to all the fans of the show who came up uh, to us over the course of FOSDEM and, and said thank you for their show and talked about how we enjoy it yeah. and so on. Uh, and thanks to, yes, everybody that helped at the booth, including uh, Tom Jones, uh, Madi Maktari, uh, Matthew Seaman, Matthew uh, Seaman, yes. TC Burner. All the people uh, we're probably the forgetting table. them, most important yes, uh, ones. Nicholas was there. Nicholas, Nicholas helped a lot, yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, thanks to Rodrigo for running the BSD dev room again. Mm -hmm. So that he had also a little device who would uh, display to the speakers how much time they have left in their talk. So that's helpful. And yeah, hopefully FOSDEM 2020 will also have us again. Okay, uh, in other news, we have a FreeBSD 
it, uh, an, an update from the FreeBSD Foundation for January. So that pretty much uh, covers or wraps up last year, 2018, and all the activities from there. And looking ahead a little bit, what we plan to do for uh, the 2019. So uh, it begins with the uh, message from the executive director, Deb Goodkin, uh, wishing everyone in the FreeBSD community a happy new year. And it's, uh, she writes, it's always exciting starting the new year with ambitious plans to support FreeBSD in new and exciting areas. So we achieved our fundraising goal for 2018, thanks to your help. Not just big donors, but also small donors are important to keep that um, going and keep us a uh, 501c3 foundation. So every donation counts. Thanks for that. And uh, we plan to funding a lot of work this year. So that's exciting. Um, though it's a new year, this newsletter highlights some of the work we accomplished in December and put together a list of technologies and features we're considering supporting and are looking for feedback on what users want to help inform our 2019 development plans. And we have a lot of those, so we need people to implement them and also fund those. Uh, the advocacy and education efforts are in full swing, as uh, we were at FOSDEM, as we just mentioned. Xanoc uh, 33 and Scale is also upcoming. And if you haven't seen it yet, our year-end video um, about uh, the work we did in 2018 is also up. And yeah, we're looking forward to uh, 2019 and everything that happens there. So they have an, uh, a development project update. I guess that's from, uh, if I scroll down a bit, yeah, that's from Edmast. The He mentions a couple of things um, accomplished in 2018. Uh, some of the work continues on projects such as, such as the online RAID Z expansion. Uh, but we look uh, ahead for 2019. In the uh, 2018 year, we had uh, things sponsored like security. Uh, so we funded several projects related to Capsicum, uh, largely focused on development of Capsicum itself. And additional Casper services may be developed to support application requirements also. Then we had improved uh, CI and test coverage a lot, thanks to our new hire, uh, Li Wen. And that has become a very valuable component in the overall uh, development environment for people uh, running um, the tests on FreeBSD and also making sure that the commits you just did uh, didn't break in uh, various uh, ways you didn't anticipate. And so the uh, um, CI-based test coverage is executed in virtual machines, but a smaller number of platforms perform full hardware system testing so that we all have... Um, uh, all the hardware and CPU architectures we possibly can run on uh, as proper tests. We also covered a bit on telemet telemetry and metrics and so that we can uh, get data on CPU architectures and package popularity and making sure that we still support the most popular parts and maybe someday retire some of the ones that no one is caring about, so we might as well stop. Mm -hmm. uh, toolchain and developer tools. I mean, Ed has been on Toolchain and uh, other people on that for years, but it's finally seeing that there's a uh, an end in sight to all that work, um, so that we're going to become a full LLVM-based toolchain. And a few tasks are remaining, including retirement of the remaining new binary utilities, uh, link time optimization support, and improvements to the ELF toolchains used by FreeBSD. Uh, we also looked a little bit, or oh, a little bit at LLVM sanitizers and code coverage tools to work out of the box on FreeBSD. Performance and scalability is also a big one. So uh, more support on NUMA systems uh, and with large and thread counts. Dealing with, yes, very high processor counts. Uh, they also have the release engineering update for December and January includes releasing FreeBSD 12 on December 11th, uh, 
uh, and going on. Also, uh, advocacy recap, looking at uh, some of the other events coming up. Uh, uh, over the course of 2018, uh, the team promoted FreeBSD at 28 different events all over the world, uh, including all things open in Raleigh, North Carolina, and a week-long workshop in Tongo. Uh, in May, they also had the first foundation-hosted install fest uh, and worked on that as well as trying to give presentations at OzCon and a bunch of other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a busy year. Mm -hmm. uh, biggest news, I do believe, is though the FreeBSD journal is now free. Uh, yes. That I've been waiting for since the beginning. Uh, I feel that it's such a useful resource. It's uh, It does FreeBSD more good to give it away for free than any amount of money it could have made from charging for it. Yeah. And I mean, we're still making money from the advertisements in there, but it's uh, available to everyone, as Alan said. And uh, like, yeah, I understand we look forward. the desire for the, the journal to be revenue neutral as well, or to be a, a fundraising source. But I think it does the community as a whole uh, more good by being free. Yeah. And so overall, we have a number for you. Um, so Deb writes in her uh, fundraising update that we raised over 1,332,398 US dollars. And some checks are still coming in, but that's the last number. So we definitely uh, met our uh, goals that we had planned to reach. And that was nice. And all um, based on your donations that you did, big and small, uh, all of them were part of that big effort. So thanks for that. And the last item we have in the top of the show today is OpenSense 19.01 has been released. Uh, now that it's been about four years of the OpenSense uh, project being out there, uh, this one nicknamed Inspiring Iguana, um, definitely one of the things I like least uh, about the naming scheme. Uh, yeah. Releases should have numbers, but names are just silly. Anyway, they have uh, 620 individual changes uh, coming out of the six months since the last release, 18.7, uh, spread over 12 intermediate releases, uh, including release candidates and so on. Uh, they now have two-factor authentication that works with remote LDAP and local TOTP, and the open VPN client export has been rewritten to have, have full API support. So they have a firewall alias API, um, the Pi firewall shaper support. I don't know what that is. Uh, better NAT rule logging support, uh, like we mentioned, two-factor authentication, WPAD and PAC and uh, parent proxy support in the web proxy, uh, P12 certificate export with custom passwords. So if you need to export a certificate uh, to import on Windows or at a external device. The D pinger is now the default gateway pinger instead of, I think smoke ping is maybe what it was before. <coughs> They've added uh, ET pro telemetry as a plugin, uh, improved IPv6, uh, DUID support, uh, added support for DNSSEC to DNS mask. Um, 
the OpenVPN client export API so that you can automatically extract a client configuration. Updated drivers for real techniques, updated newer Libre SSL, Unbound, Suricata, Falcon, and Perl. Uh, the firmware health check extended to cover all files that are part of the operating system and using HTTPS mirrors by default. Uh, updates are now browser cache safe regarding uh, CSS and JavaScript assets. So when you update versions of OpenSense, it uh, treats the CSS file differently so that your browser cache will not uh, keep showing you the old version, but without making your browser have to check, there's a new version all the time. They've also mm. added a collapsible sidebar and updated the translations for Chinese, Czech, French, German, Japanese, Portuguese, and Russian. And wow. uh, better support in their API for backing up your configuration for bind uh, the hardware widget, Nginx, Ntop, VNStat, and DNSCrypt proxy. Okay. And of course, there are install and upgrade instructions so that you can try it out. Yep. And they also have FRR for routing, um, Telegraph, and, and Zavix, uh, and a couple other plugins. Uh, and an update to SQLite and newer time zone data. Got to have that. Mm. Oh, yeah. That seems like a full release mm -hmm. with a lot of packs and updated uh, versions. Very nice. And it's time for the news roundup this week. We have the Hardware Assisted Virtualization Challenge. Right. Uh, so this is a post over on the NetBSD blog uh, from Camille Ritarevsky uh, said, over two years ago, I made the pledge to use NetBSD as my sole operating system and only operating system and to resist booting into any other operating system unless I had I, you know, implemented hardware accelerated virtualization in the NetBSD kernel, an equivalent to Linux's KVM or Windows Hyper-V. Uh, so today I'm here to report mission accomplished. Oh, interesting. Uh, so it's been a long road, but we now have hardware accelerated virtualization in the NetBSD kernel. And while I had only initially planned to get Oracle VirtualBox working, I have uh, some help in the form of the Intel HAXM engine, the hardware accelerated uh, something. How did I lose that? Um, I the definition right there, and it's gone somewhere. Anyway. Um, which is the same backend technology used uh, for virtualization in Android Studio. Uh, but basically what it lets you do is have QMU as a front end and Haxm as the backend acceleration, similar to how KVM works on Linux, uh, except for Haxm works on Windows, Mac, Linux, and now NetBSD. Mm -hmm. So nice. you're familiar with QMU front end, but you get your common backend across operating systems. Also interesting, uh, Intel Haxm is uh, BSD3 clause licensed, uh, which is good. And like we said, supports Windows, Darwin, Linux, and now NetBSD. Uh, it's based on Intel hardware assisted virtualization, so it doesn't work for AMD stuff at all. Uh, support for an arbitrary number of concurrent VMs, uh, although I think currently NetBSD is limited to eight concurrent VMs and Windows, Darwin, and Linux are limited to 64. Uh, so those are not arbitrary numbers, so I don't know. Anyway, 
and support for an arbitrary number of virtual CPUs. Currently, all OSs support up to 64 CPUs. Again, mm -hmm. oh. not sure that's what the word arbitrary means, but okay. <laughs> um, they use an IOCTO-based API using DevHacks and DevHacks uh, VM, uh, similar to the way that uh, Beehive works, although it looks like with Haxum they actually get a separate device node for each virtual CPU, uh, which is definitely a bit more than you get with uh, Beehive. The implementation is non-intrusive and in this case can exist as an out-of-tree standalone uh, kernel module. Uh, so in NetBSD this is basically a kernel module you can build and then load and have support for running QMU uh, to do hypervising. Uh, if someone were to port that to FreeBSD that'd be pretty nice. Um, default compatibility with QMU as a front end means uh, it would actually give compatibility with a lot of the tooling uh, that, you know, all the libvert and stuff that on most other platforms is using QMU. Uh, and in particular, it's optimized for desktop scenarios rather than servers. Uh, so it makes it nice for running development and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, currently, it's the only open source cross OS virtualization engine. I, well, I guess because the port of Beehive to Mac was using the Mac framework, which might actually in the end be using this thing in the background. Uh, mm -hmm. Although, no, Beehive is cross platform already. Yeah, XHive. Well, I, ju I just meant Illumos and FreeBSD is Beehive, but. Anyway, so currently the downsides are no AMD support at all, although the community plans to add that. Uh, no support for non-x86, whereas Beehive has work in progress for ARM64 and so on. Uh, you need a relatively recent Intel CPU with EPT, but that's basically anything less than 10 years old uh, at this point. Uh, and it's not quite as flexible as a KVM-like solution for embedded use cases or servers. Uh, and they note here that it's apparently not quite as fast as KVM. So I wonder how it stacks up against Beehive, which is very fast because it's much smaller than something like KVM. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of screenshots here to see how it looks like. But mm -hmm. yeah, the once the virtualization is working, then the desktops or the, the operating systems running in them are looking all the same. But yeah, it's yes. nice to see that um, it's working great, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some of the Beehive developers were looking at this this morning when I told them about it, uh, and they were like, ooh, I wonder if there's even just some bits uh, of code in that repo that could be useful in Beehive because uh, the Intel Hexam libraries or whatever are BSD licensed. Hmm. Yeah, could be. Worth checking out. Yep. Mm, he's even got... Android x86 booting on it. Oh, and here's FreeBSD booting, or hanging during boot, apparently. <laughs> Spinning. <laughs> I say uh, one thing they must clarify, and I'm frequently asked about, is that the Haxum slash NetBSD does not attempt to compete with NVMM, the NetBSD uh, virtual machine monitor, which was their other attempt at a hypervisor. Uh, I'm primarily doing this uh, for their own educational purposes and because I find uh, reaching feature parity with other open source projects an important work. 
Additionally, NVMM only has AMD CPU support, whereas currently the Hexam only has Intel support. Uh, the Intel port of NVMM and NVMM in general is still in development, and that means that Hexam is probably the first solution that has ever successfully managed to run Windows on top of NetBSD, uh, unless someone might have done that with Zen sometime in the last 15 years. <laughs> There's a chance, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they still want to look into problems with the IO APIC on Linux, or why FreeBSD hangs during boot, and why Android OS crashes. Uh, but most of the NetBSD-specific parts uh, and patches for QMU and Intel Hexam have already been upstreamed. So if you're in the Intel Hexam uh, repo upstream, then you'll actually see under platforms, there's a subdirectory called NetBSD that has all of the stuff for NetBSD in it. So mm. what the plan is, once this is all complete, it will just become a package and package source you can install and load. Yeah. Then it gives you the flexibility of not just running one operating system, uh, but many Okay, on to the next story. Uh, we have, uh, this might be a little bit contentious, uh, it's called ZFS and GPL Terror. How much freedom is there in Linux? Uh, this is over at eerielinux.wordpress.com, uh, which is the Eerie Linux distribution originally, but then switched to uh, FreeBSD for uh, pretty much all of their sysadmin work. And it starts with, there has been uh, a long debate about whether man is able to learn from history. Uh, the author here argues uh, that they can, at least, or that he can, at least uh, to some degree. One of the lessons that they could have learned by now is how revolutions work. Uh, they begin with the noblest of ideas that many followers wholeheartedly support and may even risk their lives for. They promise to rid the poor, suppressed people of the dreaded current authorities. You, you see already where this is going. Um, so the next uh, section here is death to the monopoly. Uh, do you remember Microsoft? No, not the modern cloud-first company that runs Azure and uh, bought GitHub. Uh, he means uh, good old Microsoft that used to dominate the PC market with their Windows operating system way back when. Um, so that company that used the market position with Windows 3.x to fear uncertainty and doubt digital research and to um, and their superior DR-DOS out of the market by displaying a harmless line of text with a warning about possible compatibility issues. Yeah, so, so skipping a bit, uh, they're saying yeah. that, you know, we went from one monopoly, which was bad, to we seem to be into another, where now everything is Linux. Yeah, that brings ZFS into the uh, story. So uh, ZFS, the undesired guest, is a subheading here. Uh, ZFS is today most, uh, or today's most advanced file system. It originated on the Solaris operating system, and thanks to Sun's decision to open it up, we have it available on quite a number of Unix-like operating systems. That's just great. Great for everyone. For everyone? Nope, they write. Uh, there are people out there who don't like ZFS, which is totally fine. They don't need to use it after all. But worse, there are people who actually hate ZFS and think that others should not use it. Okay, it's nothing new that some random guys on the net are acting like assholes trying to tell you what you must not do, right? However, uh, it has been uh, online for more than a couple of days, probably already got used to it. And so, unfortunately, it's still worse. 
So apparently, uh, Craig Craw Hartman, Linux uh, guru and former second in command after Linus Torvalds, uh, there have been some attempts apparently to defend the stance of this kernel developer. One was to point at the fact that the ZFS on Linux, ZOL, uh, th- that this port uh, uses two kernel functions, uh, underscore, underscore, kernel, underscore, FPU, underscore, begin, and FPU end, the end part equivalent to it, which have been deprecated for a very long time and that it makes sense to finally get rid of them since nothing in kernel uses it anymore. Nobody's going to argue against that. The problem comes clear by looking at the bigger picture, though. The need for functions doing just what the old ones did has, of course, not vanished. The functions have been replaced with other ones. And those ones are deliberately made GPL only. Yes, that's right. There's no technical reason whatsoever. It's purely ideology, and it's a terrible one. And then it's more about license matters and um, more open source. Well, in the end, it's to the authors of the Linux kernel, which license they want it to be under and which symbols they want to protect with their GPL macro, I guess. It's their code. Yeah, and if ZFS would only be available on Linux, that would be a problem. But since you have ZFS with more and more operating systems these days, there's choice and you can pick the operating system you like. And the ones who you don't like because of the ideology or decisions, then you can jump ship. If you like ZFS, then follow it along wherever it goes. But yeah, I can understand the frustration on this one. So um, there's probably a couple of comments in that blog already. So if you are interested in the rest of the piece, then um, we have it in our show notes linked. And we have another release in this week's episode. It's Clon OS 1901 has been released. So that's exciting. Uh, so this people... A turnkey open source platform uh, based on FreeBSD. They use the CBSD framework uh, and basically allows you to manage FreeBSD jails and Beehive and Zen hypervisors on top of FreeBSD. So it gives you an easy uh, management web UI. Um, coming soon will be support for Beehive migration once Beehive supports migration. Uh, so it allows you to do Beehive management, including create and delete VMs. Zen management, uh, they're the same. Um, sorting out connections to the physical network via, uh, or the sorry, the physical console of a guest via directly from your browser, uh, or you know, real-time monitoring, statistics, support for ZFS, like cloning and snapshots, uh, and so on. Hmm, that's a lot of things. Yeah, uh, but the idea is to give you a nice web uh, management console for using Beehive and uh, Jails. Yeah, sure. That makes it easier to handle uh, the many machines you will spin up and uh, Jails as well. So, time for Beastie Bits this week, uh, starting with uh, Florian Opser on Unwind. An open BSD here. Um, he writes um, some news on his recent work. So, he's an uh, OpenBSD developer. Uh, DNS is easy, he writes. You fire up your browser, enter undeadly.org in its address bar, and sooner or later you reach your favorite OpenBSD journal. Well, not quite. The first question that arises is what to put into etcresolve.conf. The answer is usually whatever DH client puts there. 
this is probably fine if you find yourself in the well-run network. But if you're moving around with your laptop a lot, sooner or later you will find yourself in a poorly administered network. The DHCP-provided name server might be slow or not answering at all. Or it might have its own ideas what DNS is all about and fiddles with the answers. Maybe you're so mobile that you are not only connected to different Wi-Fi's, but you are also on mobile data, which is UMB on your uh, OpenBSD. And there is no DHCP there. Instead of the kernel negotiates things, and you can get your name servers via an iOctal. And you can have, or so you have to fiddle with etc resolveconf by hand. Uh, you say you are already living in the future, and you get your name servers via IPv6 router advertisements. Tough luck. Get out of your editor again. Uh, or get your editor out again and hope that you have no root or that you have root on your machine and are allowed to play around with etc resolve conf. Proponents of the Unix arts and crafts movement is just unbound on localhost, which works reasonably well until you are behind a captive portal and you have to use the DHCP provided name servers until you accept the terms and conditions. Ever been at an airport or a hotel? Yeah. Uh, so you bring out your editor again. I think we can do better here. So this is where unwind comes in. It is intended uh, to always run and be reachable from your local host. It has to be at least as good as what we currently have. If you are in a network where the DHCP-provided name server works, then adding unwind to the mix must not break things. Unwind achieves this by observing and actively probing the network to see what works. Unbound uh, cannot do this and it does not try to do so. It is intended for a different problem. It requires a certain quality of the network it finds itself in. This is something you run on a server in a data center. If the network is not good, you fix the network. Unwind is quite young. It started hacking, uh, well, he started hacking on it in December 13th, 2018, uh, which is uh, quite already usable. Uh, it's under active element and progress is fast. And he lists a couple of features that are already working and are being worked on. So it's always, um, uh, want, you want to always be able to run. Uh, be at least as good as asking the HCP name servers Opportunistic DNSSEC validation. Once validation works, uh, do not allow downgrades unless the laptop moves to a different network. Uh, then you have a knob to uh, for strict modes. Always require working DNSSEC, uh, DNSSEC validation. Detect the captive portals and DNS over TLS. Hey, that sounds like a cool project. Well worth having, not only on OpenBSD. And I guess uh, people can test it some what and provide feedback yeah there's um, a man page for it unwind so you can test it and uh, try it out in your networks that you're roaming into and out of <laughs> uh, the next story that we have is a low-tech sms gateway for fun and no profit uh, over at uh, undeadly in the command line section so what they do here is they set up an outbound email uh, server and uh, being delighted how nice it is to pipe things through mail. Uh, so you want to do, of course, the fortunes and pipe that to mail to deliver your, your daily dose of cats. And to send SMS, um, you have to have, or the author here has to have a dumb phone, uh, so no WhatsApp or XMPP or XMMP. Uh, there's a script provided for sending the SMS. Yep, That's so they're pretty. using the Twilio API with API keys here, putting the phone number and basically curling to that URL and splatting out the from the to and the body and sending the message via SMS. Yeah. 
So this could be messages from your monitoring system informing you in 3 a.m. in the morning about uh, server downtime or hardware dying. Um, yeah, so it could be used for useful purposes, but don't expect much, uh, as the title suggests, a profit from that. But yeah, it's nice and easy and uh, straightforward. And in a couple of lines of uh, shell coding, you get your own little gateway running. And uh, up next is the talk from uh, Fosdem is up about Netflix and FreeBSD using open source to deliver streaming video. Uh, we provide the uh, slides from that, so the PDF. And that's um, definitely worth looking at and deciding, oh, Netflix, well, I'm a subscriber and I didn't know that how FreeBSD made it such a smooth experience or contributes to that. But now you do. <laughs> yeah. And definitely a good work uh, <laughs> describing that Sweet. and how they use that on uh, the Netflix backend servers. Uh, we also have uh, news for people who want to save a little bit of battery power on their laptops. Uh, PowerD++ 0 0.40 has been released uh, over at GitHub. And uh, what's new? Ah, so this release adds support for systems that have uh, hyperthreading disabled and load recording while a PowerD is running. So if hyperthreading is enabled, the number of columns provided by current.cp underscore times is consistent with the number of cores reported by HWNCPU. Uh, this update allows PowerD++ load rec and load play to handle this gracefully instead of refusing to start. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you have hyperthreading disabled, the OS still knows that you have hyperthreads, it just knows not to use them. Uh, and so it was messing with PowerD because it would be like, well, you have half your CPUs aren't doing anything. You don't need to scale up. And uh, load rec and load play are basically to record uh, a certain workload. Yes. And uh, then very it. interesting way to do regression testing on a power management tool is to be able to record the workload and then play it back as you tweak the code and see when you get uh, the results you want. Mm -hmm. uh, they added a couple of feature flags to load recordings and load play support for the new load recordings, as well as uh, load play reports the loads now in megahertz, and they removed some redundant outputs from load play. So um, test this out and report back uh, anything you find, or maybe you have some contributions yourself, because this is actually quite useful if you want to save a little bit of um, battery power on your notebook with PowerD++. And the more feedback this gets or testing the, um, from various laptops, the better the, the tool will become. Uh, we also have, it is time, or is it time to rewrite the operating system in Rust? So, oh, here we go. Uh, by no one else than, yes, you've guessed it, Brian Cantrell of Joyent. Uh, that's right, the, uh, so not to spoil the talk for you, but the answer is <laughs> maybe kind of yes and no. <laughs> it might make but, sense to develop new components that way, but rebuilding all the old stuff uh, might not actually be worth it. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely interesting to watch. You see the slides and the, the video itself, and uh, it's Brian Cantrell, so that's definitely worth watching. Yes. Um. 
Next up is, oh, something something I find or found interesting enough to cover in this episode. Small change, big effect, I called it. So this is a commit made by um, Alexander Moten. And so let's look at the code first. Because it's a one-line change, so it's changing from an int alloc to a size underscore t alloc. So it changes the, the, the variable type of the variable called alloc, which is... Maybe not a great name for a variable, but anyway. So that's, yeah, the one-line change. And the description in the lock message reads, fix integer math overflow in UMA hash underscore alloc. 512 gigabytes of ZFS R ABD arc means ABD's chunk zone of 128 four kilobyte items. To no, manage to... 128 million 4K oh, billion, sorry. 4 kilobyte items. Yeah. Uh, and so if you have 128 million uh, addresses of 4K bits of memory, uh, then the UMA tries to manage that with a big hash table, uh, which would take a two gigabyte hash table. Uh, but because the size was an int, if you go over two to the power of 31 minus one, uh, you get a negative number. Uh, and a negatively sized hash table doesn't really help. Not much, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that size would not fit uh, into the int variable, causing uh, later allocations to fail, which uh, would cause the arc to shrink back below 512 gigabytes, uh, therefore not letting it use all that available RAM. Uh, with this change, it was easily possible to see over 700 gigabytes of arc usage on a machine with 768 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah, and the more you, stuff you can put into the memory in the arc in yes. particular, the better it is. You know, hashtag first world problems. I couldn't use more than <laughs> half a terabyte of my RAM for cash. <laughs> yeah, but in the future, these systems are becoming bigger and bigger. And what was 500K yesterday as main memory is now 512 as standard. It's just coming. And this is preparing us for the future. And yeah, thanks for the work there. IX system sponsored that, of course. And um, people will see that coming from head into uh, a stable branch in probably next week. So yeah, great things. So you always see that it doesn't have to be this whole, oh, big code rewrite and 500 line changes or so. A little bit of uh, integer twiddling into size Ts could uh, fix some of the problems. I mean, this is rare enough, but um, yeah. Sometimes it has these initial values from like the ages ago when Unix was young, uh, which need to be updated to support newer systems and the amount of memory they or whatever yes. they have. Uh, if, if you're representing a size, you should always be using size T anyway, because it's for sizes. Mm -hmm. And it's <laughs> for numbers. And the size is not a number, it's a size. But anyway. Reminders, if you are in Sweden, uh, the Swedish BSD meetup, uh, number five is Tuesday, February 19th from 1800 to, was that, uh, 2130 at Ping Pong's offices. Uh, link in the show notes, but definitely hope that people will go out and uh, report back how it went. Uh, and thanks to Nicholas for organizing that and the rest of his team there as well. Uh, but don't feel left out. Uh, there's also the Polish BSD user group. Uh, they'll be meeting in Warsaw on February 21st, where I lost the part where it said what time it was, at 1815. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's in their they office. They also have again. the dates for their next uh, four or five meetings posted there as well. So check it out. But yes, Thursday, uh, February 21st at uh, 1815 uh, at the Fudu Security Offices again. Uh, and the page just went blank. But anyway. Oh, okay. Uh, so back at the usual place uh, and on February 21st. So be there. Have yeah. a good time. Let us Definitely. know how it went. Yes, uh, we would like to report from these user group meetings, not from the organizers. They are nice too. Uh, but from the people who attended it, maybe uh, a newcomer or someone who hasn't been there before. Yeah. Um, Speaking of newcomers, uh, we have, of course, feedback, as always, uh, or recurring questions from people who watch the show for a long time. Uh, both are uh, greatly appreciated. Um, if you have feedback for us, then please send it to us at feedback at bsdnow.tv, because otherwise this section would be very dull and empty. Uh, the first one this week is Casey with the cool new digital ocean feature he's uh, telling us about. Um, remember, Digital Ocean being a sponsor uh, in previous well, years actually, um, of this episode and this show. And yeah, we still appreciate them and use them. Uh, Casey writes, it seems like it may be easier to get other BSDs and custom-built images of FreeBSD on DigitalOcean now. They have yeah. enabled custom images and are one of the supported init systems is BSD Cloud Init. However, it mentions that the OS must support EXT3 and EXT4, but some people in the comments have stated that the requirements may only be for certain functionality. Some even said that they use UFS2 as an image. So maybe ZFS on root would be okay too. I mean, so I think uh, when they're mentioning ext 34 it was for the like uh, resizing support or something. Um, obviously, they, they offer UFS and ZFS pre-built images of FreeBSD. And if you're using BSD Cloud in it, I don't see much reason why you wouldn't be able to use those uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, I definitely like the idea of this just because I'd like a slightly closer to stock FreeBSD experience with my DigitalOcean than the, their curated images. And so custom images are nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good to know that uh, DigitalOcean supports that. And uh, yeah, check out what they have also in their uh, user-contributed feature section because there's a lot of stuff for people um, starting out with operating systems or with uh, how to install a certain software package. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of help from the community. Yes. Okay. Uh, also, if you're interested in... Uh, a little bit of shell programming to do something fun. It might be interesting to look at building up the bits for Pudrier Image to make uh, images ready to be consumed by DigitalOcean right away. Uh, I imagine it's pretty close to that already, just a matter of making sure it has the bits for the cloud in it and so on. Yeah, that would be great. So we can spin up uh, VMs to build packages, and then once they're done, they're being... Uh, decommissioned, and we just grab the build it uh, packages and ports from that. Okay, um, next up is Morgan uh, at Jail. Uh, oh, yeah, interesting, with different versions of FreeBSD. Uh, goes like this. Hi, guys. While, while upgrading to 12.0 recently, a question came to mind. Part of the upgrade process calls for reinstalling all packages under the new version, which makes sense to me. I've also heard that jails can be used to run earlier versions of FreeBSD and their associated packages. That sounds neat. But how can both of these be true at the same time? Jails share a kernel with the host. If a package from a previous version of FreeBSD must be upgraded to run properly, how can the same package be expected to run without uh, issues in the jail? 
Right. So the warning you're getting for the upgrade script is not about the kernel, which is backwards compatible. It's about the user space libraries, say the version of OpenSSL and so on. So uh, the last step of the upgrade process is actually to delete the old libraries that you're not using anymore because they've been replaced by newer versions. But you don't want to do that until after you've upgraded your packages because your packages might still be trying to use those. Now, when you're running an older version of FreeBSD in a jail, you're installing those older libraries that match that version as part of the jail. Right? The content of the jail is an old version of FreeBSD and it's just using the newer kernel, but mm. still using the older version of, say, like LS and uh, so on. And more importantly, things like libc and OpenSSL. Um, so yes, that's why that works that way. It's uh, the kernel can always be newer, but if it's if the kernel's older than the code you're running, you can get into trouble, especially if it's you know syscalls you don't have. But um, yes, that warning is about libraries, and the libraries get erased when you do the upgrade, the final step, uh, and the library the the applications will stop working, saying I can't find you know old version of this library. But mm -hmm. if you install an old version of FreeBSD as a jail that will contain the old version of the library, and then the old package will still work. Yeah, so you can uh, defer the um, updates a bit. If, if you do have something like a binary version of some package from an older version of FreeBSD and you need it to work on your system, there is a package for that uh, called Compat like 9 and Compat 10 version and Compat number. 11. And yep. it provides the libraries that were provided as part of that version of FreeBSD so that a binary from that version will work. Uh, usually you only run into needing things like this if you're getting uh, a, a commercial binary from a vendor or something. Sometimes like the firmware updating tool they'll give you for your BIOS or something is like, mm. yeah, we have a FreeBSD version. It's just for FreeBSD 9 and you're running 12, but if you install Compat 9X, uh, it will let you run the binary anyway. Mm, forever, if need be. Yeah. And yes, there will be a... Uh, instructions like these will be in an upcoming book by Michael W. Lucas about uh, FreeBSD Mastery Jails. I've read portions of it, and what I read there was very intriguing and looked good, as unfinished as it was by then. So we'll keep you posted when this is coming out, but it has things like um, jail upgrades and all these things in there that you would want to know about. So stay tuned for that. Okay, thanks for that question. Um, and last is Brad here with a question about the FreeBSD installer. Uh, that writes, or that goes like this. Hey, JT, Benedict, and Alan, I have two questions and neither involve ZFS. Well, we take them anyway. Uh, the first is a FreeBSD installer question. I'm a vanilla FreeBSD noob, but I have been running through OS since it was PCBSD. Uh, that's not so noobish anymore. Uh, so with all of the churn on planet TrueOS slash Trident slash GhostBSD and with no upgrade path from TrueOS 18.03 that doesn't involve nuking from orbit, I want to install FreeBSD. My desktop has a pair of SSDs on the main pool and a pair of spinning drives for more intensive things uh, that I don't want to waste write cycles on an SSD. Right, like jails, ports, virtual box, etc. If uh, is, or is there a way in the installer to create both pools, each with mirrored pairs of drives and assign datasets to each, or do I need to create the SSD pool, install, then take care of the second pool and moving datasets over in post? Yeah, the installer currently doesn't support that. What you could do uh, for that is choose the shell mode, create the two pools there, 
mount them with the right data sets on the right one. And then when you type exit, the installer does the extract part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or if you're feeling that adventures drop to the shell and partition everything or do everything by hand, but it's more for advanced users. Um, the, the things Alan described were basically the way to go. Okay, the second question is for me. Oh, great. Uh, I was going to get involved with the TrueAsDoc team, but with all the changes, and I believe IX Systems brought all of the docs uh, back in-house, so I was wondering uh, how one gets started in the FreeBSD doc team. So he knows Drew was using Sphinx, but I, what he thinks he remembers me using something else at the last VBSDCon. Yeah, so we're in the FreeBSD doc project, uh, still on uh, DocBook XML and um, the, the tool chain behind it. And basically, um, how you can get started, which is great. We, we love more people in the doc team. And so basically, you can decide what you like to work on more. If you want to work on more uh, handbook or man page things, that's um, the basic two different areas we support. We could also uh, give you a bit of work on the website, which is always in need of a bit of work. Um, <laughs> And so basically, we have the FTP primer. If you go to freebsd.org, you will find in the documentation section, in the drop-down there, uh, the second-to-last item is the documentation project primer. And in there, in section uh, 1.1, there is a quick start section that explains to you how you, um, what kind of software you need to get started, how you check out the doc tree, and the commands you would run to check uh, after you made a change to a file uh, to check whether they, the changes are still correct and it builds the, um, the, the section or the chapter you just uh, edited. And there are also instructions there how to uh, submit or create a, a change for that, like a diff, and submit this to us either as a bug report or you create a, um, a review and add me as the reviewer. And from there, someone will pick it up and look at it and maybe suggest some changes or uh, finds it good enough to commit it. And that's already your first uh, contribution then. So it's quite straightforward, but in case you get stuck somewhere or um, have more questions than I could cover on the live episode, um, send me an email uh, either to feedback at, at feedback at bsdnow.tv or to my uh, bcr.freebsd.org email address then um, I, we can directly talk about this. There's also an IRC channel that you can drop into, which is uh, BSD Docs on uh, Fnet. And there are a couple of more people than just me hanging around there in different time zones uh, who are also willing to help uh, and answer questions. And yes, that's pretty much the uh, approach how you get started. And over time, uh, if you nag us enough with good contributions, which we like, uh, then we will punish you with a commit bit uh, and then let you do the commits directly. And then you find another person to, uh, to do the work for you. And <laughs> well, but not let's get ahead of ourselves. ourselves. It's, um, yeah, it's appreciated that you want to help. And um, I'm not sure what um, currently is uh, the doc... Um, part in IX systems what they're doing I need to get back to those folks and um, because I always like hearing what they are using and what uh, ways they use to improve their documentation but that's the FreeBSD side of things okay I think that's uh, covering it and this pretty much closes our episode for this week uh, thanks for watching and see you next week see you next week <laughs>